0: The Pat Kenny Show with Aviva Insurance on News Talk, and this is the Pat Kenny Show with Antonin for Pat. Conflict in Israel wages on alongside increased calls for humanitarian pauses at home. The government is in disputes in a series of fronts, including around uh, Ukrainian refugee accommodation. That's according to a lot of the political reporters. And as we enter into a bank holiday weekend, the RSA is calling calling for vigilance as Ireland nears an all-time high of pedestrian road deaths. Joining me to discuss this is Alan Farrell, Fine TD for Dublin Fingo, Louise O'Reilly, Sinn Féin TD, also for Dublin Fingo, and Craig Hughes, political correspondent for the Irish Daily Mail. Folks, you're all very welcome.
1: Good morning. Morning, morning.
0: Let us start with that thing of uh, road deaths. The level of deaths among pedestrians uh increasing hugely significantly. And at the same time, Eamon Ryan is being quoted as saying that despite improvements, Ireland is not a safe place for uh, children to um, cycle to school. It's sort of a fair indictment of um, the, the quality of infrastructure that has been put in place over a long period of time, Alan, isn't it?
2: I think it is a fair assessment, yes. And I think it's also a reflection of driver behaviour, unfortunately. Um, And I think it's been a perennial issue that has been, um, you know, in this country for many, many years. It's not unique in Ireland either, unfortunately. It's not driver
0: Um, behaviour that forces pedestrians and cyclists to share the road with cars, though?
2: No, not at all. No, and I I don't want to give the impression that I'm blaming them. Road infrastructure is absolutely at play here. Uh, segregated safe cycleways are an absolute priority. And that is shown in the in the two to one budget ratio that where we spend money on active travel, which obviously includes um, uh, segregated footpaths, cycle paths and just general safety. I know uh, Louise and I could talk for quite some time about the level of infrastructural improvements that have happened in Vingal, but it's not happening fast enough. It's not happening in enough local authorities. And there is still the perennial issue of uh, Supporting local authorities and indeed the national roads uh, authority. To, but even if you take your own constituency, the if you want to cycle out to Rush, occur. if you want
0: to cycle to Lusk, if you want to cycle out to Donabate, any of those, you're taking your life in your hands.
2: There are certain routes where, absolutely, I wouldn't. I suppose even the most experienced cyclists would most likely avoid them. There's certain places in in Malahide on the Malahide Road, uh, on Swords Road, and up in the North County. I'm thinking in particular. Um, the old N1 from north of Lusk all the way up to Babrigan is, is quite treacherous in places in terms of road quality, surface quality. So these are things that have to be addressed if we are to take this matter seriously. And one of the things I would say, though, is, you know, local authorities have been empowered with exceptional levels of funding uh, over the last number of years to try and make a dent uh, on, you know, many, many years, unfortunately, where local authorities, A, didn't have enough money to invest, uh, or B, the state didn't invest because it couldn't. Um, so we are seeing a catch-up. But there's £491 million, uh, with additional £120 million of funding provided uh, in capital expenditure for uh, new roads and indeed, most importantly, road maintenance.
0: Craig Hughes, you were saying during the break, you are a, a, a regular cyclist in out of town, is that right? I don't drive. I only cycle, yes. That's my
1: only uh, means of transport. Um and look, it is dangerous. Uh, I've been knocked off my bike before. I've, oh. I've, um, I've had you know weekly close scares in some cases, especially around rush hour. I'm fortunate enough that I tend, t- tend to tend to um, uh, do most of my cycle not at peak times. And I, again, like I think we all know, we're all in, in agreement that that the infrastructure is, is the key issue. I think there there's some issues in a kind of central Dublin where you know, you're dealing with quite narrow narrow streets already and it's it's difficult to put in the infrastructure there. But I mean, for when you, when you go outside the city, there really isn't any excuses for local authorities not to be accelerating uh, more segregated cycle lanes.
0: Now, the only thing in this, Louise, that is, is slightly counterintuitive is that when you look into the numbers then, the number of cyclists killed, obviously you would prefer that none would be killed, but when you look at the total number of cyclists killed, it is relatively low compared to, for instance, pedestrians.
3: Yeah, but um, I don't think we need only look. and every road death is one road death too many. We shouldn't forget that 155 people to date have lost their lives on Irish roads this year alone. That's in excess of the entire year's figure for last year. So the numbers are going in the wrong direction and every number is a tragedy for the family and the friends of that person who's lost. In the case of cyclists, I think what happens is a, a number of things. I'm a cyclist myself. I cycle in my constituency it is not uh, it is not easy uh, I wouldn't fancy cycling in town I get the train into town where I can uh, I try to avoid driving as much as possible but I think you know we need to look at the what happens in a lot of cases and I, I hear this from my own constituents as well is that they, they try cycling they want to cycle mm. they have a couple of close calls and then they just leave the bike there they say it, it's actually not worth it so they're back in their cars so you know what we need to do is look at upgrading the road I mean you, you hear this all the time um, such and such a thing happened at an accident black spot like we can't just keep pointing at, at accident black spots on the road and saying that's an accident black spot be careful yeah. actually what's needed is to you know put the budget into making sure that the roads are safe and that those issues around you know access around visibility that those issues are tackled but there's a ten percent reduction in next year's budget. On, uh, on the road budget so I don't think that the government are interested in tackling those issues because I just don't think their focus is on making it safer and if you talk to cyclists what's happening is that they are actually leaving the bike and saying it's it's safer for me I have more peace of mind to be in the car and that is that going in entirely the wrong direction.
0: What then about the very challenging part of the road debt mix because the cyclists as I say are a relatively small con- contributor where you see a significant contribution to road debts and significant increases among pedestrians, pedestrians and what the guards say is that 75% of pedestrian deaths are a result of pedestrian culpability. It is the pedestrian's fault rather than the driver's fault. How do you solve that?
2: Well, again, that's to do with the provision of appropriate footpaths. I mean,
0: I don't have a breakdown. The guards aren't saying that it's to do with road infrastructure. They're to say it is to do with drink, it is to do with people stepping into traffic, it's to do with people lying on the streets, it's to do with people standing in the middle of the road, it's to do with people not wearing high-vis vests, it's to do with people crossing the street without looking. Those behaviours are
2: I I can't, I suppose I can't really address that because I I would most likely sound incredibly insulting if I did. The only thing I would say is that, that we need to ensure that we have appropriate infrastructure for people to use the footpaths. There are rural roads, for instance, where I'm sure fatalities have occurred where there are no footpaths. Um, I I suppose it would be very difficult for any measure to be introduced other than through the education system for people to avoid, you know, walking in the middle of a road or or such matters. When there's alcohol or drugs involved, you know, that's a a different discussion again. But clearly, you know, we need to focus, as as Louise has absolutely rightly said, you know, the idea that there's still black spots and there are up and down the country. Now, after every road traffic accident occurs, local authorities are supposed to review the safety uh, of that road and or the conditions at the time of the incident, whether it's the road surface or whether it was conditions associated with weather or whatever. So the local authorities really do need to be empowered financially to make an impact on reducing the number of black spots that are there. But, you know, it has to be said, given the numbers of drivers that we have on the Irish roads at the moment, given our population increase, and looking back 20 and 30 years, the number of fatalities on our roads, and I'm not in any way trying to diminish the importance of road safety campaigns, but the numbers are a fraction of what they used to be. That is primarily down to vehicular design. It is down to road design and among other matters. But we absolutely can and should continue to push for more driver safety awareness. But one of the things I would just say, on Garda recent roster dispute, which is now you know, coming toward a resolution, um, the commissioner said it the other day that the as a result of the the, the agreement to agree a new roster, uh, there's a hybrid roster in place, which he, according to him has seen an increase in the number of Garda available. For uh, particular units, and he mentioned traffic units, so that can only be a good thing in terms of more. Yeah, Gardaí there's one on
3: third fewer guardie in the policing units than uh, than than there had been previously. So absolutely, that is necessary. I note the call from Fine Gael recently to increase the number of Go Safe vans. I don't think that's an adequate replacement for Ongarishiakon. I actually it's, think GoSafe att- fans It's not have, an attempt uh, Go, Go Safe fans have a role absolutely yeah. they do but we also need to see uh, more Gardaí acting as uh, and, and as authorities. But they deterrent. have no
0: impact they, they will have, have no, no impact on, on those pedestrian figures that the guards are saying like if you have 75% culpability with the pedestrians according to the guards, that doesn't the GoSafe fans That's an education that.
3: issue and that needs to be tackled from school all the <laughs> way up. But then I mean, what message are you sending to kids? So if you look at the small little uh, little village in, uh, in in our own constituency, Alan in Loch mm. they've been campaigning now for more than a decade for a small little piece of path so that children can safely walk to school like what message are the kids getting it's not safe for them to walk to school it hasn't been safe and now they're out protesting Mm -hmm. and they can't so they've no choice they're growing up having to get into a car simply because it's not safe for them I mean they they hear that message you know kids get it The
1: surely message that we've been hearing for quite some time is that speed kills and and we saw um, you know Minister of State Jack Chambers trying to bring in legislation to reduce the speed on some of the roads and your colleague Martin Kenney has disagreed on
3: it What he has said is we don't need to we don't need to be rushing this yes we we can look at reducing the speed limits but it, this is not a quick fix solution. So rush legislation is not going to do it. There is not one answer to this. We need to increase the number of Gardaí, we need to increase the number of go-safe vans, we need to do that education piece but we also need to look at those areas where there are accident black spots and start actually fixing the infrastructure. Now, but how, hang on a minute, can
0: there. we go back to what the data reveals? What the data says is where we've had an increase of pedestrian death and 75% of the pedestrian death according to the Gardaí is the fault of the pedestrian. That's None an education issue, and I don't think it. any
3: of any of us are disagreeing with that. That is an education issue. So, it, it, you know, it needs to be the norm that when you're out walking, you have your high vis vest on. Mm-hmm. Not if you think it's going to get dark, but you just. Automatically, automatically as a matter yeah. of course. It's, a, it's, it's like the change visible.
2: that drivers started recently with putting their lights on uh, during the course of the day, even, even you know, during a sunny day. It's important that these measures are taken. So I, I I'd agree entirely with what Louisa said. OK, I'm what, conscious
0: uh, the, there are other matters that we want to discuss. One of them um, is that the news that Ukrainian refugees, uh, well, I'd like to get your reaction to this, Louise And um, Ukrainian refugees being told don't go home for Christmas because essentially you might not get back.
3: Well, I don't know who is sending that direct message uh, to people. I'm assuming that people will want to go home um, for Christmas. I'm assuming if they can. But let's not forget, there's an awful lot of people here who simply cannot. Their their homes no longer exist. I, I spoke to a woman recently. And she had seen footage of the place where the apartment where she used to live, and it is now a pile of rubble. So that woman's not going home for Christmas. She's not going anywhere. Uh, she's effectively she's stuck. She doesn't know. She has family fighting on the front line. She can't obviously be in touch with them. That's uh, you know. So I, I don't think there's. A, I'm not sure that there's going to be an influx of people wanting necessarily to, to go home for Christmas. And I don't know how that message is being transmitted to people that they may not be able to to come back because obviously we have an obligation under uh, under the international it, protection it, process. It's
1: not that they can't come back but their accommodation won't be guaranteed. And there was a change of policy at the start of the month uh, going from seven day period mm-hmm. uh, to now being zero. And it also applies, um, which I was surprised by, to moving around Ireland. So if you're if you're in Galway, you can't go down to Kerry for a week and come back and, and it'll be guaranteed mm-hmm. your room. Um, Minister of State, Peter Burke, was on RT earlier. He said it's down to um, the state needing to be able to actively manage their, their bed capacity. Um, uh, more appropriately, I, I, th- I think it is, it is quite quite severe. I, I, I absolutely. absolutely
2: look. The, the, the bottom line is is that no s- citizen or, or person living in Ireland wants to see Ukrainian refugees in tents. And right now, there's 450 people in tents, mm. and that's the bottom line. Um, where well, some measures. Might but what
0: be, do you make of a message going out to them that says, in essence, if you leave, you're not guaranteed you'll get back?
2: We have an unprecedented level of uh, migration happening in Ireland, not just Ukrainians, but also from people from all over the world seeking international protection. There's over 100,000 people um, uh, entered the state in 2020, late 22 to early 23. And um, we are accommodating 75,000 Ukrainians in state provided accommodation. The rest are in private accommodation. And then there's another almost 6,000 people in international protection. So for us to, as Craig has rightly said, actively manage the accommodation that is there, um, you know, we have to be, um, dare I say it, strict. And I I think it's understandable because we do have people in tents. We don't want people in tents, clearly.
0: Now um, hang on for a minute, let me just get this straight. If somebody is in a position where they, let's imagine they're in that situation where their apartment has been leveled and they have an elderly relative who, for uh, either sentimental, emotional or physical reasons, have been unable to leave Ukraine, They decide that they will fly into Ukraine for a couple of days to see that elderly relative and then they return to be told the space that you had is now gone. You think that's fair?
2: I think that it is a a, a precarious situation and I think that unfortunately we have to uh, manage what we have available. If we're talking about uh, hotel accommodation, B&B accommodation or other, including um, uh, 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 tents, uh, temporary buildings, uh, industrial units. So that is fair. That's okay to do. I think it's difficult and I think that there has to be a reasonable understanding that it is a difficult situation that we as a state find ourselves in, no more so than the than the unfortunate Ukrainians who have lost their homes and are seeking refuge here. Um, you know, I'm personally very proud of the reaction that Ireland has uh, has given to the Ukrainian refugee crisis. If you look at the the sense of the numbers of people that have volunteered their accommodation over the okay, last. Okay, well, same year question
0: to half. you, Louise. What do you think of that, Louise, The the notion that somebody is told effectively your refugee status is of a lower level if you decide to return to your home country and then come back to yeah, Ireland. I
3: don't. I don't think that's very fair at all. Actually, uh, I and mean, I think making uh, a hierarchy out of uh, people fleeing war and persecution like that is 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 quite. to be fair but I think you know we need to take a broader look on this the government have had 20 months to come up with a plan and what we have seen is is one reaction after another, after another, after another. They're not being proactive about this. Yeah. We do need to see greater use of, of uh, modular building, but also the conversion of large buildings. That doesn't seem to be happening with any kind of sense of urgency. Okay, yeah. And I mean, it's twenty months, and there's still okay. no plan.
1: Greg, yeah. you want but to comment that we already have a hierarchy in terms of how we treat refugees, we treat Ukrainians yeah. differently, and to it's how wrong. We treat other yeah, refugees.
3: and it is very, very wrong. Mm. So that you know, I'm, I, I'm not, I, and I don't think mm. anyone would stand over that. You know, well, let me ask you, Greg, on that thing of the, the hierarchy
0: of refugees is to some extent the mood around that now beginning to change. Is there a sense that we have been overly, if not welcoming, but that we have created a situation where Ukrainian refugees have been choosing not the safest country, but the one, which you can see the logic if they were doing it, that they might think would be most economically viable for them or most advantageous as well as safe? And we have, and they're not my words are
1: the words of the Taoiseach. I interviewed him in New York over for the UN General Assembly and he said, we have to be conscious that there is a pull factor when, when you create space where you generous welfare system and also providing uh, better accommodation to our nearest neighbours and we've seen that um, not just through this wave of immigration but, but previously uh, with the outbreak of the Syrian war how, how Germany and Sweden were quite attractive that that is just what happens and It's a big I, I, change
0: in the rhetoric around it though isn't it? Well it is and I,
1: I think the difficulty is now I think the government's resources are are really at the point where they're where they think we we can't continue with the system anymore. So there's a lot of toing and froing now in government, and I think it's actually quite a risky point because this um, floated idea of after ninety days you're at the end with the private mm-hmm. market. That, I think, is a very big threat to social cohesion because we already have a majorly overly constrained rental uh, sector. Mm-hmm. How is that going to cope um, if we suddenly start expecting uh, Ukrainian refugees to have to go in and battle in that market as well? Yeah, I
3: don't think it's it's a credible suggestion to bring people from who need temporary accommodation and put them into an already overstretched mm-hmm. private uh, accommodation. The two need to be kept very much separate. And I think as well, though, the talk from government without any plan to back it up, uh, I, I don't know what the intention of the kites that are being flown at the moment, but I do know that they've had 20 months to come up with a plan. 20 months ago, they told us that they were preparing for potentially 200,000 people. We haven't anywhere near that number and already the system, has, uh, the system is creaking and failing.
2: Well, I think the big issue actually is, is the secondary movement um, and, and that you've referred to. And, and that in and of itself is... Is, Do you is mean secondary
0: movement within Europe or second, secondary movement secondary within Ireland? Movement within Europe? So that they they find so, they find somewhere to go within Europe and then choose well, a different country there. That that's the, Africa, in, is that what that's you're
2: saying? the inference that
0: has yeah, been but borne that, out
3: before that inference is said. And I think it would have been helpful over the to have the numbers of this
2: week. To, to stack but it up. But we don't, up, don't but have a policy. Hang on for a
0: minute. At least I haven't finished. We don't
2: have a policy that has been announced. We have a series of articles and newspaper articles and, to be fair, conversations. I know Minister Ryan and Minister McGrath. Uh, did a doorstep this morning where they made the position very clear. I mean, look, it's not a policy that has been debated, uh, certainly not in the House. It is something that is in its infancy, but we will have to work it out. And uh, look, I don't disagree with any of the points that have been made. This is an exceptional set of circumstances. Mm. And I should point out, we as a country have received a drop in the ocean of the Ukrainian uh, displacement that has occurred.
0: I should make clear of course that we are heading into a bank holiday weekend and it's a bank holiday weekend that a lot of people are looking forward to and of course it ends with Halloween and I was I was listening this morning to Shane and Kira on uh, News Talk Breakfast roundly giving out about Halloween saying that it was, it was grossly overrated that essentially that it should be done, over and done with that unless you had kids that it was a terrible holiday. Louise, what's your view?
3: Well, I like Halloween, and I do. I like the kids, calling.
0: It was more crack. Do you, you don't hide behind the couch and turn no, off I the lights.
3: No, I don't. No, <laughs> I don't. It was more crack when when I had uh, when I when I had a little one at home to be going out trick or treating uh, with her. But I I like. I think it's a bit of crack. If you open the door and you see the costumes that the kids are in now. I mean, it's a far cry from just put a bin bag on Louise. And oh, <laughs> the little skeletons
0: and stuff are amazing. I know,
3: aren't they? Some of them are absolutely fantastic. What I will say is, I like Halloween. My cat does not. It is oh. a really tough time for pets with the fireworks going off it is very very tough time for pets now I don't have to do anything like medicate uh, Bruce is grand he just stays in looks out he's, he's fine but You've it, got a cat
0: is, called Bruce Yeah That he, is a brilliant name it, for well, a cat Well his,
3: his name actually uh, this is what happens when you let your grandson name your cat his name is oh. Batcat. Cat okay <laughs> but we also call him Bruce because I cannot walk around Scarys calling Batcat. Cat uh, oh, Hang on let me get this
0: cat. Your cat has an alter ego <laughs> which is Bruce is that right yeah. Oh this is yeah. yeah. made my in, entire, when, entire when, week he's week indoors, <laughs> when he's indoors
3: when he's indoors he's Bruce
2: it, uh, when he's out on the streets he's Batcat. I'm so sorry wish Miriam, Lord, all the best. Uh, I, I know she's not around at the moment, but that 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 be. She'd love that.
0: That's made my week. I think we'll end on that note, uh, guys. Thank you all very much. That is Louise O'Reilly, proud owner of Batcat, otherwise known as Bruce, also Sinn Féin TD for Dublin Fingal. Her uh, constituency colleague, Craig, for the uh, moment, not Craig Hughes, I should say, Alan Farrell, <laughs> uh, who is uh, Finnegall TD for Dublin Fingal, and um, our resident cyclist, Craig Hughes. Please.